When I started out in the business, cooking was something you did in between uh, you know, roofing and house painting jobs or, or convictions. Now it's a career. It's a glamour profession. Who saw that coming? Chef and author Anthony Bourdain. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Tomorrow, June 25th, would have been Anthony Bourdain's 64th birthday. And that's why June 25th has been designated Anthony Bourdain Day by friends of the chef-turned-author-turned-TV-host-and-world-traveler. Bourdain shot to fame nearly 20 years ago with his book Kitchen Confidential, in which he pulled back the curtain to let us see what really goes on behind the scenes at a restaurant. But that book also helped elevate food preparation to an elite profession. So here now from 2001, Anthony Bourdain. To your fellow restaurant professionals, are you the hero, the villain, a little of both? Everyone's been really great to me. I, they, they accuse me of being Benedict Arnold and Alger Hiss, <laughs> telling, you know, ripping the lid off the business. Um, I, I seem to have become the poster boy for bad behavior in kitchens. And uh, line cooks and uh, chefs, particularly line cooks, have just been great to me. And um, chefs call up in my kitchen at you know, 10.30 at night, 11 o'clock at night, drunk from their own kitchens, weeping about you know, problems or just commiserating. I get these uh, cryptic calls, you know, you rock, dude. You know, I know what you've been through. Uh, you know, I've been there, man. And so I get a lot of that. And, and that, that, that feels really, really good. Anytime somebody comes to a signing and I see, you know, broiler burns all over their arms and knife cuts and they're holding a grease a grease and food spattered copy of the book uh, that's deeply satisfying to me that that's my core my <laughs> core constituency I, your frankness is what appeals to people um, I, you know I, I really I did my best I, I really had no idea of no concept or understanding of what the public might like I was, I was looking to entertain cooks and restaurant people I, I guess I forgot how many people are in the restaurant business as importantly how many people have been in the restaurant business at one point or another and, and seem to remember it fondly as the last time they could behave uh, maniacally. And, and apparently I forgot about all the people who think they want to be in the restaurant business or, for whatever reason, fascinated by it. <laughs> well, it's a, it occurred to me as I was reading this book, perhaps we can now add a third item to that list of things you should never watch being made, legislation, sausage, and now perhaps our own meal. Right. Well... Um, I, I'm, I'm afraid that I've, I seem to have terrified a lot of the general public uh, from, from eating in restaurants, and, and they should be assured that, that things are better now, cleaner and more conscientious in the great majority of restaurants anyway than at any time in history, certainly. Um, when I started out in the business, uh, you know, cooking was something you did in between uh, you know, roofing and house painting jobs or, or convictions. Um, now it's a career. It's a glamour profession. And uh, who, who saw that coming? I certainly didn't. So chances are, if you're eating in any kind of a good restaurant that's, that's proud of what they do, uh, the cooks presumably are looking to make a career of it. They want to be well-known and successful in a few years. They, so they're, they're much less likely to mishandle your food. Um, but I suspect there's a suspension of disbelief on most diners' parts that tells them somewhere in their cerebral cortex that in the, in the kitchen... A team of highly trained chefs is working right this minute on their meal and their meal alone, mm -hmm. and everyone is taking extra great care and just taking watching every tiny little detail, and nothing is distracting them. Right. Well, at the three and four star level, uh, that that can be true. There are serene, quiet uh, kitchens where uh, trained professionals toil plate by plate, painting beautiful little <laughs> pictures with squeezed bottles, but. Most kitchens aren't like that. My kitchen, I mean, I run an excellent kitchen. It's a great restaurant. 
uh, but my crew looks more like a Mexican prison gang than uh, you know somebody you'd see on the Food Network. <laughs> there is one restaurant my wife and I go to where they have, as far as we can tell anyway, all the line cooks out front, so you can actually watch the, yeah. the meals being prepared. Now, we don't know what goes on in the back room you know, where, where we can't see, but it is a fascinating process. Yeah, I, I, I have to say I hate open kitchens. Uh, <laughs> you know, I hate working in open kitchens. I think, I think cooking should be a magic act, that, that, that your food should appear full-blown as if by magic, <clears throat> pardon me, from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is show business, and as long as the final product is excellent, I don't think you need to know what your cook looks like and whether they're listening to head-banging music in there. <laughs> but people do seem to appreciate it. They like seeing that the cooks are squared away and clean, and they are fascinated with that kind of choreography. And, and quite honestly, I'm not at all sure that I really always want to know exactly how long those particular ingredients have been in the refrigerator or on the shelf. You know, it's funny. I've been traveling around a lot, uh, spending a lot of time in the third world eating, and I have found, strangely enough, that some of the freshest food uh, and best food uh, appears in, in countries where refrigeration is almost non-existent. Uh, they can't rely on refrigeration and, and modern conveniences to keep something fresh that might otherwise go bad. It, it, it's fresh. It's served that day. Mm-hmm. Um, fresh means fresh. Yeah. We're a lazy culture, and I think, you know, a lot of our modern conveniences and our need for, for you know, I want it now, I want it fast, and who cares what season it is, uh, is what makes a lot of American food uh, mediocre and why we have a lot of places like, you know, some of these sort of generic chains with the same menu, you know, state to state, where sometimes the cooks are less likely to be conscientious, shall we say. <laughs> but the, then that's what the management gurus have told them, that, that, that there should be that consistency, so that if I order something from, you know, a, a Papa John's in, in uh, New Mexico, it's the same right. as a Papa John's in, in Massachusetts, or, or you know, a Wolfgang Puck restaurant in L.A. should be the same as a Wolfgang Puck out in the suburbs. That's, that's, a, that's tough for chefs and cooks, though. They feel like they're tiny cogs in a big machine. <laughs> they have no input, no creative... Uh, uh, no chance of being creative. Uh, that's where, you know, when, when people stop feeling proud of what they're doing and when, when, when there's no hope, that's when you see things like the three-second rule, you know, which is uh, an industry we all know what it is, whether we practice it or not. We, we've all seen it somewhere. The three-second rule says that if you basically drop a steak on the floor and either catch it on the bounce or before three <laughs> seconds have elapsed, it's basically good to go. <laughs> It made sense around our house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. People are horrified to hear that in restaurants, but of course they do that at home. And, yeah, and that's, again, it's, it's this, the suspension of the rules when somebody else is doing the cooking. I mean, it, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, if I, heaven forbid, cut myself on the finger while I'm, uh, while I'm preparing something right. and a drop of my blood gets into my bologna sandwich... No problem. I right. just go ahead and eat it anyway. But if a drop of your blood gets into my yeah, bologna sandwich... Yeah, that's pretty alarming. Yeah, that's, sure. that's, that's I don't want little... to think about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm gathering from what you read, from what you write, though, that that kind of thing does happen from time to time. You know, it has to. You, anytime you have large numbers of people working with knives under pressure at, at, at great speed, yeah, of course, stuff like that's going to happen. Um, I'm asked a lot whether whether people spit in food, whether chefs spit in food, and I, I'd like to say that that it's been 25 years since I've seen that. You know, I'm sure <laughs> at greasy spoons and some fast food joints where people are you know working summer jobs that goes on, but I have not seen it. You, you really. You could get away with that in the 70s because nobody really cared about the business and, and it wasn't a profession. Uh, things have really changed now that, you know, now that, you know, even my, my fry cook is asking, should he get a publicist? You know, I want to be like Emeril. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what a world we live in. Now, the things that you're writing about, you're writing, you're, obviously you work in New York and some of the finest restaurants in the world. Do the same kinds of activities go on at, 
Mom and Pop Steakhouse in Peoria, Illinois? Um, I mean, a, a lot of the, I can't speak for the food handling practices cross-country. Um, I mean, I certainly think they've, they've gotten a lot better in, in, during my career. Uh, but I, what I have noticed is that the outlaw spirit, is the, the, that whole sort of piratical, uh, you know, cowboy rock and roll mentality that the chefs have, that us versus them thing, uh, seems to be worldwide. I mean, uh, that's one of the principal satisfactions of being in the business for a lot of us is you feel you're part of something. It's like being a Freemason or a member of the Gambino crime family. You know, you tend to recognize other made guys and, and you have a lot to talk about in common, whether you're here, L.A., you know, anywhere in the country, even Australia, all over England and Scotland. You, you could almost tell the professional cooks by just the way they hold themselves and the kind of, you know, wise guy look. Uh, and that, I find that deeply satisfying. Is there any distinction made between cooks at various various types of restaurants? In other words, does the home cooking kind of all-American restaurant chef differ from the one at the French restaurant, the Italian oh, restaurant, the, the, the Mexican there's restaurant? There's definitely a hierarchy. Uh, I mean, we are all uh, comrades, but, um, but yeah, there's definitely a pecking order. I mean, we're very acutely aware of how many stars we, we, we have, how many stars our various kitchens have. Uh, we're very critical uh, of, of one another's food and very up on what other people are doing. I mean, it's, it's a baseball in that sense. You're aware of who's doing well a particular mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even if they're in another state, you know, you, you like to know who's, who's doing something new, something interesting, you know, who's the hot shot in town this, this year. Um, you know, it's part of the fun. But yeah. that's, that's at, the sh- at the chef level, right? I mean, the line yeah. cooks don't have anything to say about that. Um, well, certainly, it's a you, to, to be a line cook uh, for Thomas Keller at the French Laundry, or for Eric Repair in, in uh, Le Bernardin, New York, or Bob Kincaid in Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you hold your head pretty high when you go out for drinks with uh, with other cooks um, who who aren't so fortunate or working in such exalted places. Uh, you're well aware of of that you're you're on a fast track and you're you're working under a great chef. Um, so you know that that's. It's status. It's uh, it's a, a definite, uh, you know, a good thing to, to, to be. I'm guessing though that most most lay people, most civilians who, who who read a book like yours, will be amazed at how much skill is required for what we've always been told is an, basically an unskilled job. Well, you know, a lot of people go to culinary schools now and are getting very serious about it. It, it requires enormous skill, uh, precision, and um, and, and a sense of, I don't know whether you call it artistry, but certainly craftsmanship uh, and sensitivity. Sometimes that's a very much at odds with the sort of people working. And you see some hulking, you know, tattooed guy with jailhouse tattoos all <laughs> over him. You know, he's from rural Mexico. You know, beautifully, delicately drizzling sauce around a, a, a brilliantly prepared saddle of monkfish with saffron risotto or something like that. That's a beautiful thing. Um, what I think people overlook when, they, when they're watching TV Food Network and they see all those nice, adorable, cuddly chefs in their spotless white uniforms is how hard the business is and how much of what, you know, what makes you a good chef and cook is, in, in addition to your craft and your craftsmanship, it's about endurance and speed and choreography and uh, a mental ability to take the kind of insane highs and lows <laughs> and pressure uh, and a sense of humor. You know, because if somebody is calling you, uh, you know, a useless bedwetting rodent dropping at top, you know, a top <laughs> volume five or six times a night and threatening to hit you with a pan, uh, it takes a good sense of humor to be able to let that roll off your back and maybe even give it back a little bit. <laughs>
Anthony Bourdain died on June 8, 2018, by suicide, while on location in France, filming for his TV show Parts Unknown. Well, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to Now I've Heard Everything. We post new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and we're available on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, we're going to spin the wheel, buy a vowel, and turn the letters with my 1987 interview with TV's Vanna White. You think I lead a glamorous life? I don't look like that on Wheel of Fortune all the time. I'm in sweats and tennis shoes and no makeup. I'm just a basically normal person like all of us. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thank you.